think about all of the people that you work with right now and how many of them you've actually met in person. And uh, unless you have a company that's exclusively working in the office or in some sort of hybrid, show up to the office two or three times a week, a lot of the people that you work with, especially your prospects, your customers, et cetera, you're mostly communicating with them on a virtual platform and you'll never meet them in person. And one of the things I've had the fortune of doing here in the last year is really focusing on meeting more of my peers in person. And uh, in this episode, you're going to listen to an Ask Me Anything session that I did in person with Nick Sigelski and Armando Froke over at 30 Minutes to President's Club. So before we get to that, my name's Jason. Thanks for checking out the Outbound Squad podcast. My job is to help you turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're an account executive that is looking for help self-sourcing pipeline, closing more deals, multi-threading, et cetera, or a BDR, SDR with ambitions to become an account executive, you're definitely in the right place. So this one was pretty fun. I went and spent a weekend with Nick and Armand. And uh, I met Armand in person when I went to New York for one of Gong's uh, events. It was a customer event. They were launching Gong Engage. And this was in New York in July, earlier this year. And uh, it was kind of a random thing. We're, we're mutual friends with a guy named Charles Mulbauer. I already knew Armand before that. Um, but before the event, I went to go work out with Charles. I was like, hey, let's go work out. We get a workout in the morning. And he's like, you'll never guess. Armand's in town. We are literally walking in the streets of Manhattan. And we FaceTime. And we're like, hey, dude, you're getting lunch with us. And I got to meet Armand in person over sushi. And it was me, uh, Charles, Armand, and Sarah Brazier. And we just had a ton of fun. And then after that, he's like, you should come to LA. So I think a month or two later, we said, uh, cool, I'm going to come to LA. (laughs) And it was mostly just to hang out and talk business and do all this other stuff. And we ended up doing an AMA session uh, at their kind of like office area. They rent out this big Airbnb that's pretty cool. And we talked about a bunch of stuff. And I wanted to put it on this podcast because I had a lot of fun. And we talked about in general, just success principles, how to be successful, not only as a rep, but just in business and in your career and all of the stuff that we have learned. So I've over a decade in the game of running a business. I've been selling for over 15 years. Armand has a ton of experience as a VP of sales and a rep. Nick's crushed it as a rep. They run a business now. So there's a lot of interesting stuff we talked about around that success and you know, sort of things that apply to any type of career. And then, of course, we talked about sales stuff, so prospecting, selling, all that kind of stuff. And I wanted you guys to get a listen to it, so we put it here on the podcast. Go check out 30 Minutes to President's Club if you haven't heard of them. One of the best sales podcasts out there. I don't really listen to a ton of other sales podcasts, but uh, this is definitely one of the ones that I do listen to. So go check it out. And without further ado, let's get to the episode today. I've got a wonderful icebreaker. What's going on, everybody? Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. Um, Yeah, I do have a wonderful icebreaker because, Armand, you and I spend every waking second of our lives together. I spend more time with you than I get to spend with my girlfriend. Um, But this is the first time that I've ever met Jason in person. And, one, thank you for making the trip down to see us. Um, One of the things we were talking about before we went live was when you're in person with people, like Jason and I spend a lot of time, we talk on Zooms, we collaborate on webinars, we're out there selling but when you meet someone who is, I don't know, I almost see you as sort of like a, a business colleague in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like you actually get to see all the stuff that surrounds the work stuff. And we were having this conversation about like, what are things that we intentionally do outside of work that help us be better salespeople and, and better professionals? And so I said, in true 30 MPC style, we're going to each have to give three takeaways of those things. And that was about 47 seconds ago. And Armand <laughs> said, all right, Nick. You're going first. So I'll give my first one, which is every single night uh, before I go to bed, I write in a journal. I write in a little notebook like this. Uh, First page, I just brain dump all of like my thoughts and emotions about the day. And I just like try to get it out there because it sort of helps me navigate like all the instability of selling where like you'll have a tough negotiation and you'll go through a hard day of prospecting. And then you'll have a win where you get a deal closed and like, it's helpful for me to regulate my emotions by just doing a one page brain dump. So I use that sort of half of my brain and then, and I'll let you go next because I won't give all three. Otherwise it's 12 minutes of talk time. I'll use the other page and I will plan out 
um, my intent for the next day. So I'll write out my schedule. I'll write out like, okay, like what are some key areas where I know I'm going to have to be tough and like where there's an opportunity for a win. Um, and what this helps me do is like, I get everything out on the first page and then that usually informs how I want the next day to run. And so uh, that's my first one, journaling. I could talk about it for hours, but I know you're getting antsy and want to go. You know, well, the best part about 30 Minutes to President Club, the podcast, is we can edit Nick. But <laughs> live, you see the unfiltered Nick. It's great. Um, so admittedly, uh, you also get to see me missing the question while I'm multitasking. So I was setting up the chat. Could you repeat the prompt to me and I'll come up with my takeaway? <laughs> the prompt is what's something that you do outside of like work hours, something in your life that you do with intention. You're not just like randomly doing this thing that helps you be a better professional. One of the most impactful things for me is trying to have extremely clear lines and triggers for when I'm on versus off. Uh, so for example, when I shut off and this is one of the things that I learned during COVID is this sounds ridiculous, but I would literally close all of the windows in my laptop and I would put it away and go on a walk and go around the block, around the block, around the block. And then if I wanted to come back home and I wanted to get back on my laptop, I would literally take it back out again. And I find that especially running our own business, it's very easy for things to like bleed together. And I find that it's a forcing function for me to allow there to be white space in my life and not immediately stack more nonsense into the white space the moment I get a breather. Because we've had our weekends before where um, I'm on Slack and I see Nick's green dot and I'm like, this guy's working too. And the next yeah. thing you know, it's a full weekend of work that you didn't even plan to have. Yeah. And I find that forcing that off forces you to get a little bit uncomfortable in not working and letting that space expand is very profound for me. Love yeah. it. I mean, let us know in the chat, how much would you pay for Nick's diary? Cause uh, I'm kind of curious what he writes in that journal. Oh God, <laughs> no, <laughs> 30 MPC would be over. If you release that to the it world. probably would. I would have a different career as a different type of content yeah. creator. And by um, the way, for, before Jason goes, you can start one loving some of the stuff we got coming in the chat. Um, Start throwing your biggest questions, sales related, non-sales related. We're going to go through both and we're probably going to split them into non-sales related and sales related questions. So anything is fair game, but start throwing things in the chat as we go. All right. Yeah. We'd love to help you out. Um, I don't, I'll take a little bit of a different one because on this and our random calls, Nick, will always talk about therapy or relationships. And last night we we're talking about that a little bit too. Yeah. Uh, one thing that my wife, Sarah, she comes from a product background and in product, they do these agile sprints. So every two weeks they do a start, stop and continue. Yeah. And in our relationship, we've been doing this every Sunday on the dot. Uh, we call it a Sunday retro and it's a start, stop, continue on our relationship. Mm. So it's like a space each week where we spend literally 10 or 15 minutes and I get to talk about stuff that might be bothering me, yeah. stuff that's going really well, usually is a lot of the list. And it's usually stuff that I'm doing that annoys the shit out of her. <laughs> she brings up. <laughs> um, I think having a space like that, um, you can apply that to your relationships. Uh, if you got a business partner, you can do those like kind of weekly reflections. Uh, the reps that I work with have a lot of good insights that they get from end of the week on Friday, take 15 minutes. It's on the calendar, start, stop, continue. Like what's going well, mm that you need to continue doing? What do you need to start doing? What do you need to stop doing? I think having more purpose around that allows you to course correct a lot. Steal that. So, yeah. I'm stealing the start. Sunday retros. Yeah. Highly recommend it. This is one of the most, um, uh, they're big on this, I believe at Qualtrics, but I had like an awesome manager at Qualtrics who always ended his team's quarters with having each rep do their own stop, start, continue. Yeah. And it's like a great way to like force not necessarily just like interrogate your reps or do pipeline reviews or tell them what they're doing wrong, but get them to think inward um, and balance like the good, the bad, the ugly, all that stuff. Well, I think one really interesting thing about that, Armand, is, and Jason, the word stop is in there also because it is really, really mm -hmm. tempting as a salesperson, us running mm -hmm. a business where it's like, we're always thinking about what's the next like type of content that we do. Yeah. Like, what's the next thing that we cram in? I'm like, how do I sell one more sponsor deal? And yeah. it is so, so tempting to have this infinite to-do list. Yeah. And that's how we get into this uh, weekend work where we work all weekend and then Monday comes and you and I are miserable and we are so much less effective because you work so much. And mm -hmm. so um, 
I'm a big Tim Ferriss fan. Something that I love he talks about is the idea of a not to do list. Yeah. Um, and so that's something that I keep in mind. The other thing, I think this is um, Sahil Bloom. I saw he made a post about this where he talked about um, get a piece of paper and write out the top 25 things that um, you want to focus on and accomplish in the next quarter. Yeah. And then circle the five most important ones. Everything else that you didn't circle is your number one distractions yeah. for that quarter. And those are the things you need to avoid. And so I think yeah. most people, if you're like joining this here, you're, you're probably a fairly, I don't know, focused, dedicated, like you want to go far in, in your career, in your life. And I think most people have enough discipline to be like, all right, I'm not going to do the time wasters. I'm not watching Netflix when I'm supposed to be cold calling. But I think the more dangerous trap is doing things that like are sort of good that yeah. detract you from doing the really impactful yeah. stuff. I Just quick add, it's the whole addition by subtraction. I find that the more successful you become, especially as a rep, a lot of it's about what you say no to and the stuff you DQ really early. Yeah. So in that reflection exercise, some questions that I would ask myself if I'm a rep is like, what deals am I spending time on right now that I should not be spending any more time mm-hmm. on? Where am I giving a lot and not asking in return. So demos, um, doing extra calls with a prospect to scope something out. Like, am I getting something in return Mm -hmm. from that? An introduction to someone, an exec, am I getting looped into something? Am I getting access to power? The stop piece is really big. Yeah, It's a a friend of mine, Dan Strauss, we were talking about him today. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Dan. He says your sales funnel shouldn't look like a funnel. It should look like a martini glass, right? Uh, You should really pick the deals that you want to go super, super deep in. And that reflection exercise is really key because I don't know about you guys. I literally, whether it's a meeting or not, my calendar, all the working hours are accounted for. Yeah. So I can always go back on the previous week and I can pick out specific things where like that was a time waster. I need to not do that anymore. Mm-hmm. So be that religious with your calendar so that you can like look back and do that exercise and pick out what you need to stop doing and eliminate. It's pretty clutch. Yeah. All right, folks. So this is a great riff. And what you'll see throughout this is um, Jason was actually the one who prompted, hey, we should do like an AMA style thing and start to reveal some of the behind the scenes stuff as opposed to always the top three actionable takeaways all the time. Um, But in classic 30 MPC style, we got to do a little bit of that stuff. And so um, here's what I think, guys, is let's divide the next hour into quarters. Okay. Okay. So Q1 will be just behind the scenes, kick things off. Q2 will be uh, sales tactics. Right. Q3 will go back to behind the scenes. Q4 will go into sales tactics again. Um, it's 12.09 Pacific time right now. So there's a great opening up behind the scenes question that I think we can start with. Yeah. And then we'll roll into the tactic stuff around like 12.15, 12.20. How does it sound? It's a deal. Let's All do right. it. Let's good. do it. So uh, Robert Towner, I'm going to pop up his question, which is completely unrelated to sales strategies and techniques. I would love to hear from each of you the 60-second origin story. Uh, and then later on, he said, uh, oh, not to be ageist, I don't think you're being ageist at all, um, but you all seem young, but also very sharp and on point. I'd love to know how you got started in sales and also how you got to where you are. And he limited us to 60 seconds because he heard my first riff and said, I got a time time bound for this guy. Yeah. All right. So 60 seconds on the clock. You can go a little bit longer. Um, so my first sales job was going door to door selling house painting services. So I did that as 18, 2008. Um, the big thing I learned from that, it really hardened the desensitizing me completely to rejection. So if anyone's gone door to door, let us know in the chat if you've done that before. But um, the lesson I learned is that there's always another door. And it really helped me overcome this fear of, hey, when this person rejects what feels like me, they're not really rejecting me. It's just like I'm at their doorstep. They're rejecting like being interrupted or they just maybe don't need their house painted. It's not a big deal. There's always <laughs> another house, yeah. you know? Um I would say that's really a lot of the stuff I learned then I've like I use today and I train today just yep. around how to think about and handle rejection. Um, yeah. I became a sales manager with them. Um, spent three years doing that. I became a VP of sales with them. And then in the last 10 years or so, I switched more into the B2B aspect of things. And the learning curve I would say I've gone through probably in the last four or five years is, you know, bigger companies are approaching me. So how do I sell a deal to a, company that has three to 500 reps versus 20 reps and the multi-threading piece and all the stuff that I teach now, that's been the biggest learning curve for me is how to sell to executives. And my first sales calls, the first three of them with a legit VP of sales, they were pretty freaking rough. (laughs) Um, So I learned 
that these above the line folks, they care about business outcomes mm-hmm. and problems and they don't care about what the, in my case, the emails look like that their reps are sending. Yeah. So that's, that's a snapshot of my sales career. When was the moment you realized you wanted to go from being a seller or a sales leader to running your own business? For me, the story I always tell is uh, I, my ex-girlfriend in high school, she, uh, I saw something on Instagram. She was like pursuing her dreams of becoming a professional singer. So she like moved to Nashville and like is doing that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2000, probably 12. And I'd been kicking myself in the butt, like wanting to run a business and quit my job. And I was too scared to do it. And I saw her doing that. I was like, oh, she's pursuing her dreams. Like I, like I should do that. What do I have to lose? You know? And that helped me like completely quit my job. And like the first business I ran was actually a house painting business. It was a construction business. Yeah. And I slept on my business partner, my ex-business partner's floor. I slept on his apartment floor for like three months. Wow. (laughs) So it was really humbling. It was a two bedroom apartment. I was sleeping on the floor and just kind of doing my thing. And we just grinded like probably similar to how you guys have been grinding like a hundred hour weeks. That's what I was doing. And then that didn't work out after six months, the partnership. And that's when I got more into the consulting game and stuff. But yeah, for me, I'm one of those people now I was a good employee, but I I would be really hard for me to get a job again. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. I think for, for us, it was, I don't know for you, but for me, it was three months into going full time. Where at the beginning, I, I honestly wasn't sure when I went full time on 30 MPC. I told you, like, yeah, when let's, was this? Let's see where this goes. This was so I went full time on 30 MPC in January. Dang. Nick went full time, yeah. I think, June of yeah. last year. No, no, August of last year. August, August of last year. There you go, work anniversary right there. And yeah. So he had gone full time, but it's like, I mean, he can speak to it a little bit more. Being full time as the only full time person on the team is not an easy thing. And it did not seem initially as this like glamorous thing at the beginning. I was more so just like so fried from tech. Um, and so I was like, let's see where this thing mm-hmm. goes. But um, I nomaded in Hawaii for three months. And after nomading in Hawaii for three months and like working on your own business and frankly, still working really hard, but like realizing you have so much more space for your life and to do yeah. what you want whenever you want, like start a day at 11, like we did today. Um, that's when it was like, I don't know how I could be on someone else's clock ever again. Yeah. So what's your, uh, your origin, my sales story? origin story? Your origin story. <laughs> um, so, I have known Armand for over 10 years now. He and I were college wrestling training partners. And so the first time that I ever met Armand, we were like wrestling and pouring sweat on each other. And literally wrestling is a fight and that makes you really close to somebody. And so we were wrestling training partners and towards the end of our time in college, um, we started a company. We started a vending machine business where we, um, dispensed like protein powder and pre-workout. You like that word dispensed? Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> so we, we, had, we had a couple of vending machines all across Southern California and we didn't know how to run a business. Like I was driving around in my Nissan Sentra with the tubs of supplements in the back stocking it. And like the business did not end up being a successful business. But um, the thing that I loved the most about it was when like we we closed those deals with the gyms that let us put the vending machines in the gyms. And I remember just like the really nervous feeling of like walking into the first gym and like giving our pitch to the how, owner. How old were you? Uh, I must've been 21 and he oh, was 22. Dude. And so we were really Woo. nervous. Yeah. yeah. Um, we had um, vending machines in LA fitness at one point, which was really, yeah. really cool. And I remember the thrill of that and feeling like, wow, this is like, we walked in, there was no business relationship. We went in and we made it happen. And that is a really thrilling feeling. And tell them about uh, the first deal we ever sold. Okay. The first deal we Emily. ever sold. Okay. We couldn't get any gyms to take a meeting with us, but we were like, we found this gym in, in Hollywood, like literally a block from Hollywood walk of stars where you've got the dude dressed as Spider-Man, like yeah. trying to get a picture with you and now like asking for money. And so it's like sort of this not so nice area. Um, And we go into this gym and um, it was this older Armenian woman and I'm half Armenian and I tried to connect with her on that. And she was like, "Ah, no. And we like, we give her our pitch of like, Hey, when you put this vending machine in here, like you're going to make a lot of money. It's going to be an awesome experience. And like, she takes, she listens to our pitch. She looks at us. And what did she say? She was like, this is a horrible product. This is, this is garbage product. Every time I try to handle an objection, she goes, don't sell. <laughs> She's like, really angry lady. She was, she goes, and she brings, 
Like, this will never work. This is horrible idea. Why don't we try it? And we're like, <laughs> really? Like, how do we <laughs> sign on a new customer? Do we have a contract? For this? <laughs> and so, and so we like walked in with the paper pitch decks. We didn't even have a contract. <laughs> like, so we bring the stuff yeah. in next week. And the next thing you know, we opened up a location in Hollywood gym. Yeah. Yeah. And so oh, and it, it was it was cool. Yeah. It was exciting. The business did not end up succeeding for a whole variety of factors. I think sometimes we still flirt with the idea of doing it again. But um, and so he's like, no, no definitely not. not. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I ended up graduating from USC. And the first job that I got was not a sales job at all. I was actually a um, I worked for Aldi, the grocery store. I was mm. a, a district manager for Aldi and they placed me in. Western New York. So I'm from Western New York, but I didn't intend to go back there. It just ended up being sort of like an interesting coincidence. So I leave Southern California and we, my girlfriend and I get in the car and we move to Buffalo. And I was a, like a district manager for these grocery stores. And part of the job is like the training. You have to be a store manager and a cashier and you have to stock the shelves. And it was extremely hard. You seem way too ADD for that. <laughs> um, I, and I, was, I wasn't very good at it because yeah. you have to like, yeah, it was. It just didn't stimulate what I'm like. Oh, someone who works at Aldi Jesse. too. Yeah, Jesse is a, a very common attendee on our stuff. By the way, it, Shout what's up, you. Jesse? It was really, really hard. And then at one point, my girlfriend is um, she's trying to do the acting thing here in LA. Did you say sixty seconds? Was that? The, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is literally. I'm like looking at the time. I'm like, okay, okay. I think. I'll, I'll 1207. I said, why don't we stop at 1215? Jason okay. went for like three minutes, including a question that I asked him. This has gone on for approximately you, you eight. And by the way, this is all still pre his SAS career. This is, he, hasn't even, he hasn't even started working in sales at this point. He's still, he's still, no. Okay, I'll finish it in 42 seconds. Here we go. Start a timer, everybody. So, anyways. I, I, like, I'm doing this job. I did it for eight months and I'm like, this isn't working. They were going to send us to like now like Western Florida. And my girlfriend was like, I'm moving back to LA. You can come if you want. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I don't really want to stay with Aldi. Um, and I remember calling Armand and Armand was like, dude, you were really, really good at like helping close your gym deals. And he's like, why don't you try to get a job in Texas? Uh, and I was like, whoa, sales. That's like an icky like thing. I don't, but I did it. I, I found a, like a, an SDR job. Um, and so Armand is the reason I'm in sales. There, even less than 42 seconds. Let's hear yours. All right, put me on the clock. Put me on the clock. I want a visual. I'm going. Attendance. All right, we're, no, no, I got you. I'm just going to hold up the whole time. Here we go. Go. All right, we're going. Okay. So it was the origin story, so not the whole life story. You already <laughs> heard a lot of the stuff, right? I wanted to work in finance. My junior year of college, I was looking at internships, and I applied for a, re a financial representative job. Okay. And halfway through the process, they're like, hey, Put together a list of 200 people who you think would want to buy insurance and start asking these questions. I was like, wait, this isn't this isn't a finance job. But I was sort of clueless. And I was like, I guess this is all I can do. And so I started like selling insurance to my barber and my mom. Oh, you're that uncle. guy. I was totally that guy. And I had no EQ at the time. So I was really I was so good at it because everyone was so uncomfortable. And I was just fearless and stupid. And I became like a top 2% producer. And that's actually where I learned the, wow. the name tossed around opener. And then I was scarred by people in my family being like, please never talk to me again. So I left and I actually worked in finance. But then I realized that I love the meritocracy of sales. And then I saw Nick making a bunch of money in sales after I told him to get into sales. And we crossed the one minute mark, but there was some nuance there. And so anywho, next thing you know, I go into SaaS myself and I go from IC to leader to VP and then 30 MPC. And here we are. So there you are. Yeah. All right, folks. So um, now you know the behind the scenes stuff. Let's give them some uh, some classic 30 MPC juice from the top. Um, I'm open to picking any question that you guys see here, but let's make sure that we go back a little bit. And I believe, uh, Claudio, I hope you're still there. But Claudio had a question, and I think this is super timely for folks out there right now, which is I'm having three of four, three of my three of four interviews for my first SER role next week. Mm -hmm. Okay. What are a few things I can do or speak about with the senior sales manager to make me stand out more and secure the job? Any takers? I'm happy to do that. So this is a person with no sales experience. First SDR role. Uh, so it sounds like no sales experience. I'll yeah. start. I'll give a quick tip. So in every single interview, there are going to be questions that you know you're going to get asked. 100%. Tell me a little bit about yourself. 
why are you interested in this job, etc. You should know in advance how you are going to answer those questions because there's going to be questions you're unprepared for and you're going to have to think on your feet. But there's no excuse not to have a really, really tight, crisp, well-thought-out answer for the questions that you know you are going to get. So that's one thing that I would recommend. Boom. I'll give you three things that can steal the dynamic of the interview. So it's a beginning, middle, and end. So a lot of times with SDR interviews, like what I want to know is, is your sales skills are, are not going to be where they're going to be in five years. Like you are at 0.0001% of the way of the seller that you're going to be eventually, right? What you want to see is someone that is an extremely hard worker and they've done the preparation of what it will be like to be a salesperson in some extent, right? So you essentially want to look for breakout velocity for someone in the future. So one thing you can do before you actually step into the interview to turn the tides in your favor is send a pre-meeting agenda, right? Which is something as simple as like, hey, blank, I'm really excited for our meeting, right? I noticed X, Y, Z about the company and this about you. I'm looking forward to learning more, right? Is there anything in particular that I should prepare for coming into our conversation, right? And before that, immediately they're like, okay, even if I'm not going to reply to it, they're like, this person understands the dynamic of what it means to set an agenda in sales, right? In the interview, I always try to come in with like some point of view that I can present or share early on. For example, I would always be like, yeah, I remember I was like looking at your website and for Carta, um, you know, I was looking at CapShare's competitive battle card. And it's really interesting to see how they're describing Carta versus how Hank in my last interview was describing Carta, right? And little things like that showing that I've done my research before will change the dynamic of the interview. Um, and then always send like a recap email afterwards. So beginning, middle, end. Love that. The only thing I would add is being able to give very practical examples of how you might do parts of the job. This applies for account executives too. Mm -hmm. So if it's whatever company we're using Carta, I guess this is an example. Like I would want to be able to say like, say, so my understanding is that when we're reaching out, we're calling founders of XYZ companies and some of the challenges that they have that we solve are this. And if I was making a cold call, it might sound like this. Mm -hmm. If I was sending a cold email, it might look like this. There's tons of free content out there, either our, our stuff at Outbound Squad or 30 NPC's got a lot of good shit as well. Um, you should know generally like what the job is and to be able to provide a lot of examples. That's what I've always looked for when I've hired salespeople yes. is like demonstration that you can do the job in the interview. Great. First time account executives too, if you're an SDR, like that's another big thing. Like I just want to show if there's any doubt that I could run discovery yeah. and I could demo the platform. Like you want to come that prepared. Love it. And if you take a look at what Claudio has already done is <clears throat> you're already like really far ahead of the game. He's like steps I've done so far. You've connected with someone on the sales team. Oh, I love this. Outreach with both managers on LinkedIn, cold email, yes. both managers, learn the company, the product info, listen to your podcast and resources. Thank you. Yeah. Attending this AMA, asking that question. It's awesome. Take it one step further now with what Jason was saying, saying is now you're starting to, what you've done is you've done a lot of door opening, right? Mm -hmm. Go have those conversations and start to build your point of view on how you would do the job. So take those learnings that you're taking from the AMAs, from 30 MPC, from Jason's stuff, and apply those to how you would actually sell at that company. So awesome stuff so far. And um, shoot me a DM, by the way, like if you end up getting a gig or if you're looking at companies, I'd love to hear how that actually goes as well. I always love hearing the success stories. Um, shout out to Anthony Natoli, who's one of our favorite guests of all time. Woo, yeah, what's up? Also a great SDR leader. What's up, Show man? off your EQ and intangibles, right? I do that all day. And so... <laughs> <laughs> the intangibles, right? <laughs> okay. Um, oh, by the way, also loving the love in the chat. So Fetty said uh, doing more than 90% of people out there, which is 100% true. Okay. Let's do, um, uh, Ooh, I'm actually curious to hear this myself. JB on a webinar, you recommended a great book. Actually, your wife did. You're not listening. Awesome book professionally and personally, not a question. Just thanks. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes. So the joke I always make in training is uh, my wife assigned homework to me. I know the irony because I'm a sales trainer. Ask, you know, I train people on how to listen better and ask questions. He's like, you don't really listen that well. You need to read this book <laughs> called You're Not Listening. <laughs> so I read the book. And um, the very practical thing is this is how I teach the middle part of a cold call and also how to do discovery yeah. is... The natural instinct is when someone shares something is to think about how it applies to you. Yeah. Hmm. So if I said, uh, hey, what are you up to this weekend? And you're like, oh, I'm going to be 
going to a concert, the first thing that people usually think about is, do I like going to concerts? What concert have I been to that's really good? Versus leaning in and being like, hey, so I learned that Armand likes country music. But hey, dude, how long have you been listening to country music? Mm -hmm. That's an example of a support response. A shift response is when you share something with me and I shift the attention onto myself. Mm. How does that apply to sales? What's really instinctual to do on a cold call is when someone gives you any inkling of something they might need help with, you say, Oh, I'm so glad I called. We can definitely help you with that versus leaning in and be like, Oh, tell me a little bit more. So you're trying to get your A's to self-source pipe right now. What if you tried? Cause I hear a lot of people are struggling with that right now. Yeah. Oh, we've tried this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then you like kind of peel the layers of the onion back, right? Discovery, same thing. The biggest mistake is as soon as you get any inkling of a problem to be like, we can help you with that. Let me show that to Mm -hmm. you right now. Yeah. Don't shift the conversation onto yourself. Support what the prospect's saying. So that's like the big takeaway from that book that applies to sales. Can I ask a question? Shift versus support. Yep. Because I struggle with this a lot because oftentimes the way that I found other people can really, really connect with me is I think Nick actually does a really good job of this is when I'm like saying something's really hard or I'm struggling with something, he'll tell like, he'll share like a parallel story that shows me that he gets it. Yeah. But then he'll send it back to me. So how do you balance just like asking, asking, asking with what is oftentimes helpful is like sharing stories that show that you understand. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's important to do both. Yeah. Um, You talked about never asking naked questions. Right. That's something that you talked about. All right. Um, I wasn't here at the house this morning. I don't know what you guys were doing. Like I hikes together, but um, um so a naked question is, uh, so what are your biggest challenges in getting your AEs to self-source more pipeline? Uh, mm. When I ask a question in that way, what it does not demonstrate is that I know about this, like what this person's peers deal with and what mm. this problem is mm. actually like to experience. Mm-hmm. So I can relate back and I call it question stacking. If I stack context in front of a question yeah. through a customer story or an insight or whatever, it demonstrates understanding. Yeah. So, hey, I'm actually hearing that from a lot of VPs right now. Like they've tried literally like assigning activity targets. It's a big focus in every enablement session. They've tried doing power hours and nothing really seems to work to get their AEs to self-source more. What have you tried? You know, so adding the context and the story, I think is super important because at the end of the day, that book and sales is really all about how quickly can I show the prospect that I understand where they're coming from and for them to feel like I get it. Yes. Uh, that's a very intangible thing. It's yeah. like, you don't, you don't accomplish that through asking a list of the perfect questions. Yeah. This is like an EQ thing. Yeah. I like that because you're essentially using the story as a way to absorb and show that you're listening and be like, Hey, I'm going to create this connection. Yeah. But based on the story that we both share, how can I use the next chapter of that story to pin the question back to you yep. while not just having basically just pulling the conversation back to me. I mean, in short, this is active listening is yeah. rephrasing what you just heard into your own words and saying it back and just like, Hey, am I tracking here? Mm. Like, uh, so I'll give you another pro tip with discovery multiple times through the conversation. If you're doing a 30 minute intro call, you should be doing this three to five times. You'd be like, okay, so what I heard there, Nick was yes. yeah. XYZ. How am I tracking? Yes. Am I getting this? Am I picking up what you're putting down? I say that a lot. <laughs> am I picking up what you're putting down? Yeah. And you want, hopefully want a lot of these during the discovery conversation. Yeah. But just simply restating back and making that a habit is huge. It's you, you yeah. call it the playback where you're like, Hey, yeah. let me, let me play back <laughs> what I just heard from you prospect. Yeah. And what almost always happens is they yes. And you, they say, that's right, yeah. Jason. And, and they share more because to that, yeah. that point, like if you don't show them that you are actually listening, yeah. they're not going to share more because <laughs> it's going in one ear and out the other. So one other thing, if I could, that book talks a lot about the brain science behind it. Yeah. Literally, when someone says, um, you know, like, hey, like we're out of sync, you know, like your brain waves literally sync up with each other when you're on the same page with someone. Mm-hmm. So that like dopamine yeah. hit that you feel like when someone really understands you, that's like literally your brain waves syncing up. Wow. So that's like what you want to accomplish with the prospect. It's really all about like on a cold call, especially what I envision is they're running on a treadmill. Yeah. You want to hop on the treadmill next to them and get up to their speed. You don't want to be speaking down here looking at them while they're on the trail. I'm like, I want to get on the same page with someone as quickly as possible. That's really what great sales conversations are all about at the end of the day too. It's like, 
how many minutes does it take for me to like get on the same page with this person yeah. and to really understand what they want and help them articulate it in a way that maybe they can't. So I'm curious from both of you guys, right? <laughs> we're, we're reaching quarter three here is if we take this, we were, we were having this great conversation on this hike around sales applied in life, mm-hmm. right? So different sales skills that work in life, right? Prospecting is definitely a, an interesting skill to use in your life. Negotiation is an obvious one. Mm-hmm. Um, discovery is probably the one that's most impactful for me. And so how do you find that uh, if we take the same like brainwave concept, right? Mm-hmm. Getting on the same sync. Oftentimes the blocker to sync up the brainwaves or get on the same page as someone is getting past the initial small talk and figuring, finding that first topic where you can deeply resonate with someone. Yeah. That actually like sticks and is more than like a two minute fleeting conversation. So do you have any actionable sales tactics on how to have better conversation and deeper conversation with people? We're talking about sales or life right now? Life. Life. Okay. Oh, dude, this is something I kind of struggle with sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I'm an introverted person, but I do like to socialize with people that I enjoy speaking with, but surface level conversations are, are pretty tough for me. Mm-hmm. So like I have a friend, for example, like he's a doctor. Um, one of the questions that I like to really ask is like, hey, what do you like really hate about your profession? Yeah. And I like to ask stuff that's going to get an emotional response from someone. Yeah. So what do you, what's the thing that you can't stand? What's the most misunderstood part about being a doctor? Yeah. You know, like I ask questions like that. And usually if I can get something like emotional out of the person, we have something to relate with and talk about. Yeah. Cause they might, he might talk about how much he can't stand working with patients that are really hard. Hey, I have clients that are kind of hard to work with sometimes, you know what I mean? Like we have something that we can vibe with. So that's my go-to typically. Mm. Um, for me in life, I think one, one of the best ways to open somebody up is like, you go to a party and say, Oh, what do you do for work? Where do you live? Like that, those are boring questions. And so I try to get to like things that interest the other person. And so like a go-to question I have is like, what's one thing that you do that's totally outside of work that you're really, really passionate about or really enjoy. And that's a good way to get someone to light up and tell you about they love horseback riding or they love hiking or whatever they're, they're into. Yeah. Um, and so that's one question I use to open folks up. But I think a lot of people are very comfortable talking about work um, and I don't want it to be like this boring, monotonous conversation. And so you, you've probably heard me ask this a million times. Like my go-to question when someone's telling me about their profession is um, I'll ask them, you know, I, I've never been a professional horseback rider before. And I have to imagine like there's, really interesting stuff that happens behind the scenes. What's one thing about your profession that would like totally surprise a lay person like me about it, that they would totally not expect. And you'll get the most interesting answers. And I think also part of this, there has to be this belief that I used to sell accounting software to law firms. Right. And I would tell people that at a party and they would give me that reaction. Like that sounds like the most boring thing in the world. It's like watching paint dry. But the more I would learn about it, because I was selling this thing, it's actually really, really interesting. And I think I have this belief that on the surface, even something that seems boring or uninteresting, or I would never, I've never horseback ridden in my life. I, I don't even know why I pulled that out of thin air. It gets really interesting when you get into the details. And so I think that's the mindset you need to have when you're exploring with folks. It's a, I feel like I'm going to be just repeating what you guys said, because I steal a lot of good conversation stuff from, uh, from you, Nick, and I'm also extremely introverted. Yeah. And so one thing that's helpful. That surprised me, me, by the way, with you. Actually. Really? I think yeah. it really well, um, as do you. Uh, it's a yeah. problem because everyone everyone thinks you're social, but then you're not. Yeah. Um, it's like, <laughs> I don't not like you. I just, yeah, I need just, to re-energize. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's one-to-one ratio, right? Yeah. Um, but the honestly, like, learning discovery has been one of the most profound things for me for just getting better at conversation with people because and one of the things that we talk about in Disco is like, transitioning from what questions to why questions Hmm. as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes conversations will start with situational questions or what questions, right? And I try, what do you do for work? What do you like for fun? Et cetera. Right. Um, what have you been doing for summer in LA? That's been like my fun one of like, uh, like what's, what's going on in life right now. Right. Sometimes just starting super broad. Right. And like starting broad and seeing like what latches on, not how's your day going. Right. Or how was your weekend? But like, figuring out if I can get on, get on something that will show me a passion or a hobby or something like that. Yeah. But then very quickly, what the number one thing that is very similar to what Jason said is I typically like to 
figure out their preferences and their opinions quickly. Yeah. And I think a lot of people in California really shy away from that. Mm. And that's what makes for really bland vanilla questions. But for example, if I find out that someone was like into pottery, right? I'm typically going to ask questions like, when was the moment you realized you wanted to do pottery? That My guess is you didn't wake up one day and were like, okay, I want to like mold some clay, right? <laughs> was there something in your life that triggered you wanting to do that? Or is this like a phase or is this a chapter in your life or stuff like that? And usually when you find like, one, two, or three choices they've made in their life mm -hmm. and ask less about what type of choice they made. Is it a red, blue, green, but why they made the choice in the first place. Mm -hmm. That's when you'll start to figure out the more interesting stories and life events behind yeah. someone. And then the conversation tends to flow. I think one thing to point out that's super important is that being a great conversationalist is a skill and it will help you tremendously. I think it's the most underrated thing in sales. Yeah. There's this whole belief that I've seen people talk about a lot. A lot of people in my line of work, sales trainers, where it's like rapport is not important. And like, no, dude, like having a good rapport and being able to just have a good conversation, especially with an executive who's just mm -hmm. like littered with like boring business stuff all day long. Yeah. Like that's not everything, but that's a huge part. It buys you so much leeway when you're just a good, interesting person to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. And this is stuff that I have to force myself to practice, like just even interacting with a cashier and asking them how their day is going. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like making it a little less surface level. So this stuff's super important. I love it. You hate when I yeah. engage the cashiers. Because <laughs> I'm like, you're just practicing on them. I'm like, stop. Like, I'm hanging out with you. Oh, All righty. Uh, Nick, what's your most and least favorite list? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I've, I've, lifting wise, I've only been doing full body. Um, yeah. I do. Anything over five pounds is awesome. Oh, my yeah. gosh. No, my training routine is I'll, I'll usually lift two to three days a week, full body. Um, mm -hmm. And then I intersperse hiking and biking and yoga. Um, and I got hurt, but I just got cleared uh, recently to get back on the wrestling mat. And so I still coach wrestling at the, the college level, which I'm not standing in the corner with a whistle. I'm actually on the mat wrestling. Um, so that's what my training looks like. Oh, yeah. How about I love it. I usually go to Orange Theory. So I try nice. to do that three to four what times a week every process, other day. Man? So. You're a machine. Yeah. This guy's right. ripped, though. Armand is freaking ripped. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Five six. It's all. It all gets <laughs> smaller, compact package. Oh man. Uh, yeah, for me, I've been doing a lot of yoga recently. Um, I actually got double injured, so I'm just a feeble old man at this point. I've got a torn LCL and like my, my shoulder rotator cuff is a little bit messed up. So too really I can only painful. do so many. Yeah, it's horrible. And it's like top and bottom cross body. It's like if you took at the two corner table legs. And so I yeah. not to complain about injuries, but I've been doing a lot of um, yoga. And then when I was in Hawaii, I was doing a ton of surfing. That was just like amazing shoulders, tan, everything all day. Can I ask you guys, because this is, I think, again, another underrated topic, like how yeah. like the mental health part of it, how much of that do you feel like preventing burnout and just like being able to really focus and get a lot done mentally comes from just taking care of yourself physically? Yeah, a ton for me. I mean, we've yeah. talked about this a lot. I will say we've... Um, both Nick and I have overcorrected at times where the three things that need to have balance in my life are work needs to be balanced. My fitness needs to be balanced. My diet needs to be balanced. And the last thing is my connection with other people Yeah, needs to be balanced. Those are like the four things. And oftentimes the reaction is when work goes super, super high. Like we talked about it the other day, we'll start doing like two a days for workouts just to say sharp and that's okay for a short period of time. Yeah. But my, my ideal situation is like each of those buckets is like nice, healthy and full. Yeah. And if any of the ones, any is extremely deficient, I find that that means that another one is probably overflowing or like overflowing yeah. with like rotten water. And so my whole thing is if I can work out every day, I get a little bit of time between me and me in the morning. It just centers me a ton. And it's something that I'm doing for myself that makes me feel good. And even though it's taking time out of my day, what it does for my gas tank emotionally is yeah. substantial throughout the rest of the day. So I work out almost every single day, even if it's a 30 minute walk, yeah. just to like set myself up on a degree of sharpness that carries throughout the whole work day. And if you deal with any kind of anxiety, that's sort of what spurred the more consistent workouts for me is like, if you have any kind of anxiety, I mean, this is the number one thing that you can do for anxiety outside yeah. of fixing whatever it is that you're anxious about. Like just being physically fit and like 
eating a decent diet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that was something that was like the physical health thing. Like everybody has things that they need to work on. Um, for me, like being physically active and eating well was never really a challenge for me. Um, and it's actually helped me have a happier and more full life easing back on my workouts a little bit and reallocating that time to um, taking care of my mental health or um, doing other things that return a different type of energy to me. Because I used to be like you just talked about, I was, I was working out eight, 10 times a week. And that's crazy. like I was training like I was when I was a college wrestler and yeah. that's good. That's great. But that was the only tool that I had in my toolkit to stay yeah. sharp or return energy to myself. And the problem was like, I wasn't doing things like writing in my journal as much as I should, or I started going to therapy a year and a half ago. Mm. I, you were one of the reasons I started going because you're vocal about it. And it's yeah. really, really helped me. It's helped our friendship. Like there's times when I'm like, oh, I should get a workout tonight. And then Armand and I have like a really, um, I don't know, restorative conversation where you and I like, I think that's something we've learned how to like really open up and be vulnerable with each other. We're business partners. Um, and like, I'll be sitting there being like, oh, I'm supposed to go to the gym, but like this conversation is really restorative. And in the past I would cut it off. And now I've been like, it's actually okay not to work out every single day. And I would actually, I I'm okay accepting a physical decline. I mean, I'm still exercising consistently, yeah. but I'm okay with a slight physical decline because that allows me to reinvest that time in, other areas that, that fill me up differently. Like there's different types yeah. of energy. So that, that's been changes of like a month and a half ago, really. Love it. All right. Let's yeah. see what else we got. Uh, there's some fun ones here. Hey folks, let me know in the chat. Cause we're, uh, we've got only, I think a quarter left. What are you enjoying more? Are you enjoying the sales tips? Are you enjoying the life tips? Are you sick of my monologues? Tell me how you're feeling in the chat. Sales or life? Put it in the chat. Yeah, let me know. That's a good call because we only got like 17 minutes left and then we have to eat some food. Let's see. Let's see. Hey, y'all, tuning in from Santa Barbara. What's going on? Group wrestling in Ohio. Great wrestling state. Uh, happy to be here. Also scaled back my workouts, dedicated the energy to other impactful parts of my life. Yeah. Love that. Awesome. Love that. Thanks for sharing, Tyler. I appreciate that. All right. I got a quick one here. Um, any tips on writer's block? I got a quick one. Get a crummy first draft out there. Yeah. Don't do it on a computer. Take out a piece of paper like this. Start a 10-minute timer. Like when I'm doing a LinkedIn post and I got to get it out the door because we're promoting something, yeah. I sit down, 10-minute timer, and I force myself to keep the pen moving at all times. And 90% of what I get out there is garbage, but the 10% that I get becomes a well-thought-out post. So you you got to get started. The hardest part is getting started. Yeah, I think that I see this with emails whether it be a cold email or a follow-up email for a, 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 you know, a deal in pipe or whatever. I find the best thing is to just talk it out loud with someone. Yeah. Mm. Especially cold emails. Like that's how I always train people on how to write them. I was like, let's just talk through the talking points and just write everything down. And the second tip I would have is don't edit as you write, mm. just get it down. It's going to yeah. look like garbage and then edit it, you know? So allow yourself to edit, but yeah. talking it out loud, I think is the, that's the best one. Brevity should come last Yeah, to that point. That was going to be my piece is just like write as much as you can. And the other thing is like try to pull in the inspiration modes for when you're writing wherever they catch you. So, for mm -hmm. example, like whenever I'm on hikes, I always have my phone in my hand because I'm listening to music. I don't like it dangling around. But for whatever reason, when I'm not sitting down and thinking about writing, my best ideas come to my mind and I will constantly voice memo on my hikes. I have a post list on my iPhone. And I'll say add blank to the post list because yeah. something that I want to write about will come up when I'm in this like free flowing mode. And then whenever I want to write LinkedIn posts or content or stuff for our newsletter, I'll just open up the post list. And it like jogs the memory of all of those moments that I had inorganically versus sitting down and being like, okay, think about something. All right. People really want uh, some sales stuff. So let's, let's get into some sales tactics. All right, let's do it. Ask us some sales questions too. Uh, let's see. All right. I'm a relationship builder through my sales process and I've had some struggles getting champions to intro to their execs. Any thought on how you would overcome that hurdle? Jason, you've put together a ton of multi-threading content. Multi-threading. So, so um, I, think, I think the first thing is map stakeholders prior to the first interaction with your relationship builder. So what you want to be able to do in that first call is to be able to ask for specific people by name. So you don't want to go into a call and say, so who's your CRO? 
Yeah. That's someone that we should eventually loop in. We, you want to just refer to that person by first name. Um, the second thing where I find that a reluctance to introduce to power comes from is one, if they're not having the conversations internally, which is a really bad thing. Mm-hmm. If this person's not having it and that person doesn't know. And the other thing is they're fearful that you might make them look bad. <laughs> so you need to explain why. So rule of thumb here is sell the outcome, not the deal. So when you're multi-threading, you want to have a story around how they can get the best outcome from your solution. Because that's why buyers go through a buying process. It's not buy your stuff. It's to get the outcome from the solution. So I always have a story that sounds something like, hey, we've gotten really good outcomes with XYZ based on our work with Gong, Zoom, and Medallia. Can you share or can I share? Is it cool if I share a little bit more about how that kind of came together? Always curious. Mm-hmm. Cool. What they found really helpful to really drive self-source pipeline is one, you being the enablement person, we definitely want to get your head of enablement who's going to have any input on the content uh, on the next call. The second thing is I noticed Nick leads the North American sales team. We're definitely going to want Nick's perspective because he's working with the frontline leaders and the frontline reps and like without their buy-in training typically falls short and not right now, but at some point we're going to want our monitor CRO involved in the deal as well because he's going to want to know how this fits into kind of the long-term plan over the next year or two. So what I would suggest for next steps is we get so-and-so and so-and-so on the next call. How does that sound? Is there anyone that I missed? So I want to educate them on how to not only buy my solution, but how to get a great outcome. That's the reason for multi-threading. So to overcome that hurdle and to get the intros to the execs, you need to talk about how it helps them get a better outcome from the deal by involving the executive. Boom. Heck yeah. That's far. There you go, Manuel. It's uh, I'll add, I'll add one. Th- Actually, I don't think we have to have all of us. Yeah, let's, that let's, was honestly, let's do some rapid fires. It was really good. Phenomenal. Yeah, let's do rapid fires. Um, sorry, I wasn't looking at the chat. I was actually like really interested. Let's see. Uh, okay, this one's good. Ah, Nick, I'm gonna throw this one at you. <laughs> <laughs> we've been uh, <laughs> we've had a long series of conversations have, around how to squeeze the 30 MPC TAM yep. dry. And so how would you approach a territory, roughly 300 accounts, where your company, oh, that's new, uh, where your company will not let you cold prospect new accounts? Essentially, you're stuck with the same 300 accounts for six months. That's actually very Yeah, they're saying not add to, you can't add. Like, Um, your 300 is your 300. Yeah, okay. So chances are you've, one, if you haven't reached out to all those accounts, reach out to all those accounts. Just because one person tells you no at an account does not mean that it is a dead account. Let's use that multi-threading thing we just talked about. Usually, like when we're selling 3MPC advertising sponsorships, there's like four, maybe even five different roles that can end up buying from us. A head of demand gen, a head of content, a VP of marketing, a CMO. We can often get in with like a head of sales or head of sales development. Those folks often are entry points for a deal for us. And those folks can be champions and buyers. And so... What I previously thought was like, oh, okay, the head of content said to Nick, oh, sorry, we don't have any budget right now. I can't touch that account for another six months or even a year. Armand, we can't sell to them. And what we've been talking about a lot is like, okay, just because one person told me no doesn't mean I can't go after person two, three, four, five. At a certain point, you might say, okay, this account is tapped. Or they might say, hey, you know, please stop reaching out or talking internally. That's fine. Respect it. But what you should be doing is you have 300 accounts, but you really almost need to think of it as having... 1500 accounts because you've got five people in each company that you could go sell to. And so when you work your territory that way, you'll find there's way more opportunity and you'll have a much better pulse on things. The other thing that I'll add here is um, using the martini glass analogy. Mm -hmm. The same thing applies to territories, especially today. The reality is in a book of 300 accounts, they've doled out different they probably have scored your accounts and they know that there's some and good, didn't tell you <laughs> and they didn't tell you and like they gave everyone like a degree of like a's b's and c's yeah. right and it's your job to figure out where the a's b's and c's are and my favorite mix was and i was typically working a book of around 300 accounts as well and i would take the top whatever call it 25 percent of my accounts and those were my a tiers i would take the ne- next 25 percent of my accounts and those were my b's and then the remaining 50%, yes, 50% of your territory, half of your territories, you use pretty crap. And those are your C's, right? And so I would just roll through 25 on like pretty automated sequences for the C's, right? And some people will come back, right? So you get all the contacts, you do basic persona-based 
sequencing, right? And you just sort of let the C tiers roll in the background or you have your SDRs work those. And I know like you're supposed to personalize every single email, but I think tailoring a people ops analyst email on a C tier account is a huge waste of time. I think you can do targeted, right? For your B tiers, that's where you're really going deep on tailoring, especially for like at and above the line folks. But then for your A tiers, like this is where the inverted funnel is really, really important. Those are the ones where you should be like working with your VP or your manager or what have you to send like the exec to exec notes. Mm -hmm. Because if you can get a meeting with an A tier account, the propensity for those companies to buy faster at a higher win rate at a large win rate is way, 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 way higher than five meetings with a C tier account. So it's a disproportionate amount of payoff for getting a meeting with an A tier account. And you should be spending a disproportionate amount of time prospecting into those accounts. So we had a pecking order where we'd be like, okay, step number one, direct referral. See if there's a direct connection to that company. Step number two, if not, send a CEO ghostwritten note. Step number three, CRO or VP of sales, like exec to exec route outreach. Step number four is like now we're sending gifts. And then step number five is traditional cold email and cold calling. But you should prioritize and invert your funnel such that you spend a disproportionate number amount of time on your A's and then your B's and then C's very last. Yep. One last thing I would add is get all of these accounts in your LinkedIn sales navigator. Hopefully it's synced up to your Salesforce. You don't have to do it manually. Um, but a way that you can grade them is based on triggers that are available. So there's easy stuff like have they hired new executives? Um, do the job titles that I typically want to get meetings with even exist at some of these accounts? Mm -hmm. uh, past employees of current customers. Do we have a team link intro? Are they first connections with any of our executives? I mean, don't forget LinkedIn sales navigator is like the most badass tool that you can use to like help prioritize like the triggers in the intent. So never work an account list from top to bottom. That is the worst way to work an account list. You got to tier it first. Yeah. Beautiful. Good All right. Uh, what else do we have in here? Chris, hopefully that helped you out. Go get more. him, my friend. Let's get some more sales questions in here. Okay. Ask Carmen about our negotiation strategy <laughs> the other day. I did negotiate a deal with Jack. Um, let's see. Someone had a question about, they said them to monitor. And there we go, right up there. It's, it's Fetty said, um, pull that one up. That one's good. There it is. Yeah. Um, I get told by a few people I'm very monotonous. I speak in a monotone voice. Do you guys have any tips with tonality? Well, I don't have any good tonality. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I think, I think yep. one of the best things you could do is listen back to yourself, record and listen back to yourself. We yeah. do this all of the time and probably completely take it for granted. I don't know about you that I'm recording videos and podcasts. I listen to myself talk yep. all of the time. Yep. So if you're not doing that, even if you're not recording your cold calls through an actual call recorder, have your phone voice memos up, record yep. yourself doing it and listen back, practice, record, listen back. Like that's the easiest thing that you can do. And then the other thing that I would really practice is when you have your opener, let's say scripted out, practice the inflection. Mm -hmm. You know, I learned this when I was going door to door with house painting. That was the thing that we really wanted to emphasize was house painting. Hey, it's Jason with college works painting. I'm going to be painting a bunch of houses in your neighborhood this year. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was the opener. Yeah. Right. I'm calling because I'm with a house painting company. Like yeah. we really overemphasize those yeah. words. So just practice reading it back. This is a practice thing. This can be totally learned. It's a skill thing. You would do it. I mean, I, Armand's first ever sales job is going to hate me. He would walk around the streets of San Francisco walking to work, muttering his cold call opener to him, himself yeah. again and again and again. And he would wear a headset because he didn't want people to think that he was totally off his rocker. <laughs> yeah. But that was how you got your cold call opener and the little yeah. nuances and the intentional stutter, like, down perfectly yeah. so um yeah this is just like i would say pick like some of the common talk tracks you're going to have like some of the common questions you're going to ask or if you hear a, pro a prospect like describe a process a lot in your sales process like practice how you're going to respond to that and say it and you will find yourself get better and better and then i think the last thing is like if you can stand up you always will have more energy if you can like just the fact that you are cognizant of that you can artificially bring yourself to be a little more animated you guys stole it from me. Oh. I got nothing else. All right. Last question, folks. Let's do one more. Okay. Let's actually wait a hot minute. I want to see if there's anyone that really jumps out of the water. Okay. 
I'm teeming with otherwise, anticipation. Otherwise, I got one. Armand scrolls through and creates our dead air. I want live dead air. air. I want dead air. Oh, my god! While we wait for one last question. Okay. I remember Armand San Fran's story. <laughs> Look at that. You never know which stories actually get stuck. Oh, that yeah. one's stuck all right. <laughs> yeah. All right. While we wait, favorite ice cream flavor. Oh. One last question, folks. Jason, you first, my friend. Favorite ice cream. Oh, I got to go vegan ice cream with me because the dairy doesn't sit well. But really? uh, Natamu, if you guys uh, haven't checked out their ice cream, yeah. really good. The chocolate chip mint. Ooh. Fire. Ooh, not, uh, it's I'm called a, it's called Natamu. Oh, N-A-D-A. Moo. It's the best vegan ice cream. It's creamy and just like real ice cream. And yeah. I think it tastes better than real ice cream. I'm a mint chocolate chip guy. Yeah. Also, Oreo used to have this Oreo. Oh, mint chip, yeah. And I can't find it anywhere. It breaks my oh, heart. Yeah. I would I would put a whole thing down so and sitting and I felt terrible after. But yeah. yeah. Another good vegan ice cream is, um, so I, it also destroys my stomach, <laughs> but it's so good. Like, it's just so good. That's what, that's what lactate's for. That's oh, right. So five days a week, I'm, I go uh, dairy-free because of that, but those two days just are havoc. He's good, yeah. And that, so those two days are not going to happen while those are my there. <laughs> well, planning it today. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, also good vegan ice cream, Ben and Jerry's milk and cookies flavor vegan. Ooh, yeah. Really good. And uh, yeah. I'm a big cookies and cream guy on that note. And that totally does the trick. We got to get some ice cream later, you guys. I would be down. As, are you are you down to break it or are you going to go vegan? Well, I brought lactate with me on this trip too. So, you know, we could we could do a... <laughs> <laughs> this is the final question. Somebody said, is Nick related to Ben Shapiro? We had someone comment on a YouTube video saying I sound like Ben Shapiro sales. No look relation. The, look at the, look no relation. I know this is a great final question. At Jason Bay, <laughs> tagging you. <laughs> Does being bald make you good at sales? Not biased question. No. He is, it looks like uh, Anis is also bald. <laughs> yeah. Hey, us bald brothers, we got to stick together, man. This is this is because if you look at the, it's receding here, it would look really bad. I don't have a full head of hair like these two fellows here. Okay. Let's There's do another related one, question. which is, is Nick related to Ben Shapiro, which we will skip as well. <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> Definitely not. Okay, last one. Is a BDR. Any tips on keeping up with who to follow up with and where conversations are at? Talking about tasks and events. Yeah. So, okay. Um, and this gets even harder when you're at NAE. So live your life out of tasks and events. Okay. So here, here's sort of like how I would work my territory when I was like a full cycle AE is I had all of my accounts. And I was like tiering my different accounts, right? And so that's typically where I would decide, hey, which are the 10 accounts that I'm going to work? And I would always mark, when is the last time that I've like run this account through the washing machine, right? So that was always something that I would manually know so that I could always look at my territory and be like, the last time I combed through my A's was 90 days ago, right? So that's step number one. Step number two is work the entire account the first time through. So try to like no, leave no stuff behind when you work an account, right? There's some people that I see like they work a couple contacts and then they like, I'm gonna work some other accounts and then I'm gonna come back and work a few more contacts. Like no, work the whole thing, right? And it also works when people's emails are being bounced around, okay? Once you get them all in sequence, right? They'll naturally have a function for, you'll know where they're at because the sequence is always driving the steps forward. Where it gets tricky is when things start to fall out of sequence. So there are two places where things will fall out of sequence. Number one is when there's a reply. And then number two is when the sequence ends. Okay. When there's a reply, you transition from sequences to tasks. So anytime you get a reply, unless it is like, screw off, never talk to me ever again, I will always reply with a task in return. And so the, if I'm saying, yes, let's book a meeting, or if I handle an objection, I will always set a task that is three days from today so that the task comes back to me. I don't have to remember anything. And then I would typically have a task at the end of any sequence that would notify me that, hey, this is a dead, like this is a dead sequence. And then I can decide what I would like to do with that contact or account once it's over. So it's a closed loop system, right? No matter what, there's always an action that is coming back to you. Beautiful. Yeah. Nothing to add. Cool. You gonna wrap there this? is one last good one. Um, okay. We'll handle this one and then we will formally go, um, which is a great final note, which is any advice for an, a BDR looking to move up to an A? I'll give one piece of advice that I think is relevant to any salesperson. Um, I 
talked to a lot of salespeople that over-index on consuming sales content. So they'll join things like this. They'll get one of your courses, Jason. They'll listen to every episode of 30 MPC. And so they consume all of this sales content thinking that for me to go from BDR to AE requires me to know everything about selling and sales. And they don't listen or consume any content that's designed for the persona that they sell to. And so I would recommend that regardless of your SDR, AE, et cetera, like you should be listening to one fewer sales podcast a week and go listen to a, a cybersecurity podcast or a law firm accounting podcast. And what you'll find is you'll start to pick up on the nuances and you'll start to speak the language of your customer, which will help you book more meetings as an SDR. It'll help you have more authentic, real discovery as an AE. And if you're in a, at a company you plan to stay at for a while, you want to know that space really well. So that's one tip that I would recommend folks lean into a bit. Hopefully your company records sales calls. Listen to other AEs at your company doing sales calls. Like listen to the top AE do sales calls. You're going to learn a lot just from doing that. You want to start listening to my calls now, Armand? No, I'm good. <laughs> and on that note, folks. Um, oh, Jason, where, where can people find out more about you? What's one thing that you want someone to, to I don't know, consume some piece of content that you're working on? Or anything uh, at all? I mean, LinkedIn's going to be probably the best place and then outboundsquad.com. So I post content on a daily basis for both prospecting and selling. Yeah. And uh, a lot of it aligns with the stuff that you guys post and talk about on a daily basis as well. So yeah, check it out. Tend the free go. content and all that kind of good stuff for you. So I'm going to throw outboundsquad.com uh, in the chat. Oh, failed to post comment. I guess not. Um, well, that's the end of the AMA, folks. Go check out outboundsquad.com. Check out 30mpc.com. Sign up for the newsletter and all that jazz. And uh, Jason does a lot of stuff with us. So if you're curious to get more of this, I would really recommend going and listening to his episodes with us. They're some of our favorites. I think we've done three now, and all three are just like great. Thanks, cool. everybody. Have a great weekend, Thank folks. Everyone. See you Bye. All. See you. Have a good one.